Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to the Believe in UConn Women's Basketball Podcast. I am your host, Jacob and Lawrence. We are here for season two. Got renewed, baby. Survived the chopping block. Still here. Still talking UConn women's basketball. We're talking everything about the program. From conference changes, that's right, we're back in the Big East, baby. We're finally home. Home, sweet home. (sighs) Time to run the conference just like we ran the American Athletic. Don't get it twisted. Two changes to Monst Geno's coaching staff. Got a former player coming back to the sideline. We always got that to talk about. To the schedule, to the games to interviews, to whatever may happen. Like last season, Chino had a little emergency surgery. And have no fear. We are right here to break it down, talk about how long Chino would be out, what games he would miss, if that would have an impact on the women, and if so, how much of an impact. So have no fear. The Believe in UConn Women's Basketball Podcast has you covered on everything Lady Huskies related. We might even talk a little bit about the Lady Huskies and the pros. But this... This is the first official episode of season two, like I said, and we are chasing glory to start off season two. We are here to discuss the 1995 National Championship team led by one Rebecca Lobo. 35 and 0, perfect season. How do you cap off a perfect season? You cut down the nets, and it was the first one for Gino, who took a floundering middle of the pack program. And built it into a title contender. And this is right about the point where you're like, all right, can they could add something? But is it a flash in the pan or could this potentially be a dynasty? So sit back, relax for the next 45 minutes or so. We're going to go through the 1994-1995 season. We're going to look at some of the storylines from that season. Catch some of the high points. Look at a couple key games during the season. And of course, we're going to look through that tournament run. That included UConn knocking off two Blue Bloods in the Final Four in Stanford and Tennessee to capture that first national title. So just sit back, relax. We're going to get to it. But before we dive into the season and talk about it, I just want you all to go to Apple Podcasts, pull up the search bar. Matter of fact, hold on. I'm going to do it right now. Unlock your phone. You go to your podcast app. Go to search. Type in Believe in UConn. Hit the search button. Wait for your phone, your iPad. You watch to do his thing. Boom, pulls it up. First show. And just right there, all you gotta do, you see that little that little button that says subscribe? Just tap that. And now you're automatically subscribed to the podcast. So all new episodes will come straight to your iPhone, your iPad, your Mac, whatever Apple device you have. However you subscribe, it'll come straight to it. And on top of that, matter of fact, let's go ahead and just slide to Spotify real quick. Pull up Spotify. Go ahead and search. Believe in UConn. Same thing. Tap that follow button. And boom, there you go. And you could do the same thing for TuneIn and all your other podcast platforms. All you got to do is just search for it. And once you also do that, make sure that you leave the show a review. So for Apple Podcasts, all you got to do. Boom, leave a little rating, five stars, leave a comment, let us know what you like about the show, what you don't like. That way we get better because, again, this is a family podcast. This is your podcast as much as it's my podcast. 
So without feedback from you, how am I going to get better as a host and bring you the things that you want when it comes to the Yukon Lady Huskies? And speaking of the Lady Huskies, we're chasing glory, starting with the first national title, the 1994-1995 season. And what makes this one so special is that this past April was the 25th anniversary of this title. So it would have been really nice had the women been able to cut down the nets in Tampa this year, find a way to knock off South Carolina, maybe Stanford, maybe Oregon, or whoever else was in their way this year. And to win a national title on the 25th anniversary of the first one would have been sweet. It would have been one of those unique moments where you just look back in time and you're just like, damn, that was special. That was nice. But last coronavirus, COVID-19, worldwide pandemic, had other plans. NCAA wisely, and I say this with the utmost respect and credit to the NCAA, they got something right in terms of their student-athletes. You can talk about how they're handling football right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, go check out Believe in Auburn. Uh, Go check out Believe in FSU. You can go check out Believe in Pac-12 Sports. All the other football shows on Believe Podcast Network and get everybody's opinion on that, and they'll cover that more. But they ain't doing so good. They ain't doing too hot. But nonetheless, NCAA was like, hey, cool, you know what? This year, we just won't have a national champ. We'll just shut it down. And I get it. Unpopular decision. But they actually did something, whether it was intentional or not, but with the safety of their players in mind. Because you best believe they lost close to a billion dollars, if not more, between both tournaments. Just off of revenue, ads, hotel unofficial official gambling however you want to look at it they 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 were losing money so everything would have said hey let's play it but they were smart enough and decided not to play it for the safety and for the greater good so props to the ncaa for that that might be the last time you hear me praise the ncaa on this podcast also but yes now let's take it back in time the year is 1994 lady huskies are coming into the season the prior year they won the Big East regular season tournament. I'm sorry. They won the Big East regular season, won the Big East tournament, rolled into the March Madness, got bounced in Elite Eight to North Carolina. I was like, all right, this is this is something. This is something special. This is, well, looks like we might have something here in stores because you have Rebecca Lobo, Jamel Elliott, who has returned back home to stores as an assistant this year. So, yes, that is one of the things that is new that you'll notice on the sideline. The great Jamel Elliott has returned back to her Lady Huskies. And so welcome, 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 welcome addition back to the ranks. She currently sits number two. I'm sorry. When she finished her career, she was number two all time in rebounding. She was number five in the Big East for career rebounds. Number 11 for scoring with almost 1,400 points. She had a solid year, four-year, led it all four years. She helped. She was a key part of that dynasty. And she was the second player to give you 1,000 points and 1,000 rebounds. So she played 135 games, never missed a single game, nor practice, which is really shocking that she didn't miss a practice. Missing a game, not missing a game is commendable and admirable and a great feat in of itself. The fact you never missed a practice So you never had the flu or nothing to keep you out of practice. You're like, nope, going. That's great. That's great. And she left UConn with a record of 117 and 18. Man, that is is very, 
very impressive. Almost 100 wins more than losses in four years. Very impressive. And that shows you that, hey, right about this time, it's kind of the start of the dynasty. We're starting to build a legacy, build a dynasty, build a true program, develop a culture of things. Because a lot of us will look at that 117 and 18 and be like, damn, you lost that many times at Connecticut? How? We've become spoiled as fans to have that approach. But nonetheless, Jamel Elliott is back. She was a former head coach at Cincinnati. She got the Bearcats to two postseason bursts. I'm sorry. And every student athlete that played through all their eligibility earned their degree, which is really important. The NCAA and a lot of other coaches and programs and people harp and talking heads harp on how these kids are student athletes. These women, these men are student athletes. They're students first. But you look at it and you're like, they're not students. They're unpaid laborers, which we can get into that later. And I'm sure, you know, at some point this season, I will bring somebody on to the show so we can discuss exactly the term student athlete and how it's not really appropriate anymore. Like at one point, sure, but now you're making billions and billions of dollars off of these athletes and they can't even be in a commercial with the jersey on the back. They can't make any kind of revenue, nothing. They can't sign an autograph for somebody on campus because that might get sold. And then it's like, oh, they're profiting off of their own likeness. And it's like, it's my name. It's my face. Nonetheless, that is an episode for Down the Road. I'm going to reach out to a few people get somebody in might even get Megan Como back in kind of talk about what it was like being a student athlete back then and the whole likeness profiting thing versus now but nonetheless yes Jamel Elliott is back she left UConn with a degree in business management she also has a master's in sports management welcome addition you have another viable mind next to Gino on the sideline so if Gino ever goes down for anything now you have somebody else right there too so you're perfect the rich just get richer, Geno's just refix it, replenishing and fixing the staff, keeping things looking good, strong, and solid moving forward. But yes, back to 1994, 1995, you had Jamel Elliott, you had Jennifer Rizzotti, you had Kara Walters, and also you had Rebecca Lobo. So those four, that's your core right there, coming off of a great run. And then you go into the season and you're like, all right. Elite Eight or bust, basically. You're like, all right, we got to the Elite Eight last year. Let's do for it again this year. Let's shoot for it. Elite Eight or bust. Maybe we get Final Four. Because you also picked up one of the best players in the country in Nikesha Sales that year. So you're looking with four established players and a hot freshman who proved that she is one of the best. Highly touted recruit. So it's like, all right, cool. Coming off 30 win, Big East tournament champs. Look good. Looked real, real good. It's like, all right, sky's the ceiling. Sky's the limit. Ceiling's the sky. Ceiling is floor. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's one of those. Yeah, had all the pieces, everything. So now, all you have to do is make it click and make it work. Easier said than done. But these women did it. And they did it to the tune of 35 and 0. That is impressive no matter what era no matter what sport, no matter what. To run the table is not an easy feat. There is a reason why the 72 Dolphins are the only NFL team to go wire to wire with no blemishes. Pats came close. They lost to Eli Manning in the Super Bowl. 
You've had teams come close. They usually rest or whatever and drop one somewhere. So wire to wire. It's impressive. Really, really impressive. And for Connecticut being a program, like I said, this is upstart. This isn't the Connecticut that a lot of us know now. This is the beginnings of it, the humble beginnings of it. So it was, it was nice. It was like, oh, 35 and 0. All right, cool. Cool, cool. All right, what are we going to do here? Can you sustain it? What are we going to do? It's only a matter of time. So let's go ahead and look at the first part of the 1994-1995 season. Let's just look. There's a couple key little moments and matchups here that you look at this team and you're like, all right, we might be better than the Elite Eight. We might be better than we really thought. So here's the first thing of interest to note from this season. UConn, of course, went undefeated, but won the Big East regular season tournament. One of Big East regular season title along with the Big East postseason tournament, which at this point was kind of becoming the normal for Connecticut. It's like, all right, these women are good. They're a little bit of a powerhouse. Hey, they, they, they're kind of legit. Like they kind of run the conference. And so, hey, cool. UConn ran through, did everything, handled business like they were supposed to. Rebecca Lobo leading the way. Gino being Gino. It's like, all right. We're looking good. We're looking good. To go through the Big East in the mid-90s at that point, it was still a respectable conference. It's not quite what it was in the mid-2000s at its absolute height and peak, and it's not what it is now in a state of rediscovering itself. So it was somewhere in the middle, but it was still respected as one of the best basketball conferences in the country, especially on the women's side and on the men's side. You can make the argument that it was the best. So for Connecticut to run through the Big East again, great. Check that out the box, looking good. No problem, no issue. The real turning point, the first thing that you want to look at is January 16th, 1995. It is a nationally televised matchup against who? Why, none other than Pat Summit and the Lady Vols. And what's interesting is at this point in time, Pat Summit and the Lady Vols were the number one ranked team in the country. Connecticut has this matchup with them. It's a home game. It's played in Gamble Pavilion. What happens? Lady Huskies decisively handle Tennessee to a tune of 77-66. UConn would then take over the number one ranking in the country and continue on with it. And that game is a moment where it's like, all right, we can hang with the best because the year prior, you got bounced by North Carolina in Elite Eight. It's like, all right, cool. This year, like I said, you have Elliot, you have Lobo, you have Sales coming in, you have Jennifer, you have a nice core, you have everything you need. You have Walters as well. So you have a big, you have a stretch for in Lobo. You have a fiery youngin in sales. You, you got anything? You got a tough point guard in Jennifer. You have everything that you need to have a quality, high-level team. Not to mention Rebecca Lobo, All-American. Jennifer would become an All-American. Elliot would become an All-American. Sales would become an All-American. So you have High-caliber athletes. Gino, I think the jury is decided, and it's safe to say, will likely go down as the greatest women's basketball coach of all time. 
regardless of the level. And you can even make the argument that Gino may be a top 10 basketball coach in college. Men, women, D1, D2, D3, NAIA, JUCO. It, it doesn't matter. To look at what Gino Oriama has done since the mid-80s at Connecticut to take a program that was abysmal into a juggernaut into the evil empire everybody can reach a lot of people can reach the juggernaut level where it's like all right cool you're top of the mountain everybody hates you everybody wants to be you and knock you off cool juggernauts fall on a fairly regular basis you want to look at another sport for example look at football fsu perennial juggernaut eventually fell off alabama had its moments fell off is now back on top things go in cycles you want to look at men's basketball duke Kind of teetering on that juggernaut bit. North Carolina falls off, gets back, falls off, gets back. Texas falls off, hadn't come back. Maryland, respectable juggernaut, kind of rediscovering itself. Syracuse, another former Big East team. Juggernaut, always a title contender, rediscovering itself. So, hey, juggernauts, they fall. To reach that next stage to become the evil empire where everybody hates you, that is a unique level of consistency, work, and dedication, and cultivating a culture unlike no other. Because now when you hear UConn and people that aren't UConn fans look at us and we're like, oh, yeah, we're UConn fan," And you're like, and they always go, oh, so you're just a fan of the best team. Uh, you just might as well be a Lakers and a Cowboys fan. You guys are just killing the game. No, we're making the women's game better. Because if you look at this 1994-1995 team, the success that they had, the amount of eyes that they had put on them, how you had people from the NBA, ESPN starting to take notice, made people give a damn about women's basketball. Because let's be honest, nobody gave a damn about women's basketball in the mid-90s for the most part. And what would happen two years later, the WNBA would be formed and created. So you have your Cheryl Swoops, Rebecca Lobo, Cornerstone, Cornerstone. She went from a Cornerstone at UConn to being a cornerstone of the WNBA throughout the league's good chunk of the league's first existence. You think Rebecca Lobo, you think Cheryl Swoops, you think the Houston Comets, the New York Liberty, LA Sparks, Lisa Leslie, Rebecca Lobo, Cheryl Swoops. Those are the three names that you think of at the start of the WNBA. So for Lobo to continue on from college into the pros tells you the kind of person and athlete that Rebecca Lobo is, which is what makes this team so special is that Chino had all those pieces and was able to make them mesh and work with each other to the tune of an undefeated season. So we're looking at this cool going through the regular season, no hiccups, a couple little games where you're like, all right, and yeah, this is a little close for comfort, but it's still good. Get through the Big East tournament, no issues whatsoever. Then you along the way find yourself to March Madness. So it's like, cool. All right, we're here. What do we have to do to make it to Minneapolis to cut down our first net to claim that first national title? Okay, it's simple. You got matched up where you had Maine. First round matchup, no problem. Took care of Maine. On to the next one. Virginia Tech, cool. No problem. On to the next one. Alabama, cool. No problem. On to the next one. Virginia, a little personal for Gino. Gino was an assistant at Virginia. Hey, nice seeing you. 
bye bye on to the next one so you get through those all those games were played in stores home court advantage whatever you want to say cool no issue no problem now you're off to Minneapolis for the final four and who do you have waiting for you one of the bluest of the blue bloods the top of the top who which again is a testament to them as well because we say Connecticut has been the standard bearer for 30 years Stanford has also been a high quality high caliber program for just as long if not longer while Stanford may have teetered more in recent years than UConn Stanford is still a perennial top five top 10 team this is where you can argue the gap in women's basketball being so wide between five five and one and six through ten that gap is a lot wider than a lot of people think that's a conversation for a different day so what does Connecticut do they get through Stanford and who is waiting for Connecticut in the national title game why none other than Pat Summit again for the second time this season now what's interesting about this second matchup with Pat Summit and the Lady Vols is it appears that Pat learned her lesson from the first matchup, and this game was a lot tougher. It was a little more difficult for the Lady Huskies to get things rolling because going into the second half, UConn was down by six, and Rebecca Lobo was teetering on being in foul trouble, which she would later get into in the second half, and it became a very cat-and-mouse type game, whereas like Lobo is clearly the driving force for UConn. However, she's in foul trouble, so it becomes a matter of I have to trust my player, but I also have to protect my player from themselves. So you can't play Rebecca as much as you want. And Tennessee is able to take advantage of that. They're having their moments. However, Gino calls a timeout, talks about it. And Rebecca's like, basically, hey, if this is how I go out, let me go out on my shield. I do not want to go out playing timid, trying to avoid foul trouble. And sure enough, she goes out, she comes through. Stays out of foul trouble, finishes the game, leads UConn to a 70-64 to victory to seal the perfect season, and thus Connecticut is 35-0 and and has captured their first national title. And for a lot of people, didn't think it was going to be possible, but they did. They did. Matter of fact, Chris Daly, I'm sorry, Rebecca even made a comment about Coach Daly and Coach Ariema of how they do a good job of preparing people to see, preparing people to be hard workers and to give back in some way and to understand what it actually means to work hard. That quote applies to both Chino and Coach Daly as coaches in the basketball context and context for these women going into the real world, going in and being women in the everyday workforce and just women in general. And it's interesting that 25 years later, a lot of them still have these feelings and remember these sayings from coach and being like, hey, it prepared me for life after. And sure enough, all of these women have gone on to have great pro careers. Sales was the first pick for the Orlando Miracle in the WNBA. Rizzotti had a solid career. She is actually an assistant on the U.S. senior national team. She built a pretty good Team at Hartford, nice little mid-major, so got to watch out there with what she had at Hartford. And then she took over at George Washington. Of course, we all know Rebecca Lobo, all-time great, 
New York Liberty. She now is a commentator for ESPN. Walters is an studio analyst for UConn, for SNY. She's one of the growing names in media as well. So this core has grown on to go do great things. Coach Oriema and Coach Daly are still there leading the charge. This is the first national title. It feels sweet. And then for one, it came two. Two became five. Five turned to 11. So on and so forth. But hey. Sorry. And there was a quote. Gino was like, ah, you know, I thought we were going to be a one-hit wonder. And then they get another national title a few years later. So on and so forth, which we'll talk about. We'll talk about that na- that second national title in the next episode. Because it's easy to win things the first time. It's a lot harder to get back to the mountaintop after you get knocked off of it. So. Have no fear. This has been the Believe in UConn Women's Basketball Podcast. Chase and Glory, the 1995 national title, 35 and 0, the first one. And yeah, we'll, you know, we'll probably dive and touch on this team a little bit more because it's a special team. It set the standard, the framework. Actually, I take that back. When I interviewed Megan, I said that she. And her team kind of helped lay the foundation and the groundwork for what would become UConn women's basketball. And sure enough, she did. 1994-1995, they just added another level to the house. Now it's a two-story house. We framed things out a little bit more. Kind of put up some nice little walls. You, Oh, okay, we're going to put a little master bathroom here. We'll do this. We'll do that. Things are looking good. Teams later would come through and design the interior, but these two teams, Megan Como's teams in the late 80s and Rebecca Lobo and Nikisha Sales, the 1994-1995 team, are the foundation of what UConn basketball would become and what UConn basketball is to this day. So that is it for the 1994-1995 title run. Chasing Glory will be back with episode two of Chasing Glory next week. But before I get out of here, I would be remiss if I did not mention the passing of Big John. For those that are fans of basketball, of course, you're listening to this podcast, unless you just like me, and thank you for subscribing and listening and downloading. Greatly appreciate it. But for those that are fans of basketball, college basketball, and fans of the Big East, like the original Big East, that was a force on the men and women's side up until the mid-2000s, the name Big John rings bells because that is John Thompson Jr., the head coach at Georgetown, the former head coach of Georgetown, who passed on the reins to his son, and Patrick Ewing took over. Patrick Ewing is the current coach there. And speaking of Patrick Ewing, he is the man that helped Big John win his only national title. Big John was the first black head coach to win a national championship, 1984. He passed this week due to cancer, this past week due to cancer. And he leaves a legacy of care, legacy of greatness. And I would say big shoes to fill, but it's almost impossible to replace somebody like him. Because you can go check the Instagram tributes from Akembe Matambo. Patrick Ewing made an interview, a statement a year ago in an interview saying, hey, Big John was like a dad to me. I always had my parents, but I knew if I had an issue or something, I could call him and he would be there for me. That it was deeper than basketball. That he genuinely cared about me as a person and treated me like a son. And then, of course, infamously, or well, yeah, you can call it infamously, 
He stood next to Allen Iverson. Big John did when AI was a senior in high school facing charges for a brawl. And the charges were later later overturned. And AI has come out and said in the passing of Big John that, hey, John saved my life. Like, thank you, coach, for saving my life. So this is just a testament to the kind of man that he was. He's put 30 first-round picks in the league from his tenure, if I'm not mistaken. He's helped countless other men. There was a case where one of his players were hanging around with the known drug dealers, and he was like, yo, he cut that out, took care of that situation, helped save that player's life. Alonzo Mourning is also involved in that story. So let's just think of some of the names. Allen Iverson, number one overall pick, arguably the toughest player in NBA history. A lot of people call him the greatest pound for pound. Like if AI was six foot six, man might have more rings than Mike. You have Patrick Ewing, one of the best centers of all time, could never get over the hump in the league, but nonetheless, Pat was a force. NBA Hall of Famer, now the current coach at Georgetown. Alonzo Mourning, one of the greatest centers ever. Kimbe Mutombo, no, 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 Mr. Fingerwag, master of the block. There's countless other players. So I would like to just end this note, end this show on the note of saying rest in peace to Big John. Thank you for everything that you have done to the game. Basketball from walking out and protesting a game in the 80s due to an NCAA rule that you felt was going to unfairly target minority student athletes to just building Georgetown into a powerhouse that has that me as a fan of UConn could root against as a little kid. Like, I don't care if it was the men or the women. I don't like Georgetown. Don't like Syracuse. It is what it is. It's rivalry. So thank you. But honestly, thank you, Big John, for everything that you've done. You show that a coach is just more than somebody to teach you X and O's or to get you to the next level or where you feel like you should be going. That a coach is somebody who cares for their players, looks after them, and treats them like a family. Because that has been the echoing sentiment of this past week since John's passing. That, hey, he was a great coach, but he was a better man. That he was a man first, coach second. That he cared about you as a person and make sure that you were good, that you were okay. So, yes, this is how we're going to end the Believe in UConn Women's Basketball Podcast. Talking about the great John Thompson Jr. Passed away at the age of 78. Affectionately known as Big John, one of the best to ever do it. Make sure you check out the Believe in Georgetown podcast. They have a great episode dedicated to the passing of Big John, so go listen to that. Let me know your thoughts if you have a favorite memory or anything. And normally I would say we end this with where you con, you're not, but not today. I'm just going to simply end it with, hey, this is a game. We all love this game, but most importantly, it's just a game. And sometimes it's sometimes you just have to think things outside of the game that is deeper than that, that you can have a lasting impact by doing just more than just being a coach. That black coaches matter because they are role models. They can understand and relate to the players more, and that's what Big John did. He looked after his players like they were his own. He took care of his players. He set the standard. And for that, we thank you, Big John. And until next time, this has been the Believe in UConn Women's Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob DeLawrence. I'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.